one of the things I'd always been saying to people I worked with for years, what are you going to do when Gaddafi calls in a favour? And an Irishman does an Islamic terror bomb. Welcome back. I am here with the dream detective, Christopher Robinson. Christopher, it is an absolute pleasure to finally get you on the podcast. It's my pleasure too. <laughs> so yeah. All right. You've had a remarkable life. So I don't know how we're going to encapsulate all of it in one hour, but I'm going to try to get as much as I can. And then, you know, we'll probably do a follow on episode. Let's start from the beginning. You have a remarkable history of using precognitive dreams to predict events, help for intelligence agencies, also to help police find criminals, et cetera. And obviously, you've demonstrated the ability enough that folks at Scotland Yard, MI6, trust the ability enough, and even subsequently U.S. intelligence agencies. So when did this ability begin to manifest? So the ability, I first became really aware of it. So if, if I say the odd times during my life up to the age of about 35 there was little instances and you think wow you know coincidence or but not enough to call it a manifestation of anything right but there were there were little things that you made you think and then my grandmother died and i was with her virtually up until she died and basically i'd gone to the hospital to see her she was terminally ill, but she wasn't terminal today, if you see what I mean. The doctors weren't expecting her to die within the next four or five months even. But she was in hospital for treatment. And when I got there, she looked at me and she said, Christopher, you never lied to me, have you? And I thought, oh, gee, what's coming now, you know? <laughs> I said, actually, no, I don't think I have. Why, Nan? She said, well, you always told me, and these are pretty much her exact words, you always told me that when my time came, I'd meet your grandfather again. And I said, yeah, that's pretty much what I believe, what I think, yeah. She said, well, every time I close my eyes, he's at the end of the bed asking me to go with him. What should I do? Oh, throw me it, that one. You know? <laughs> and I said... No said, pressure. Yeah, no pressure. I said, Nan, I can't tell you what to do. She said, do you believe it's him? I said, actually, yes, I, I, I do believe. Well, that's actually a really creepy question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, she I mean, she, she doesn't know whether she's hallucinating, I suppose. And I said, yeah, I do. So we talked about a few little things and... She said, well, I think I'm ready to go. And I'd like to be left alone now. So I said, oh, okay. So I kissed her on the forehead, walked out of the hospital ward, through a set of double doors into a corridor leading to another set of double doors leading to a corridor that takes you to the parking lot, the car park. And I got to the last set of double doors 
when a nurse came running after me saying, come back, come back, come back, please come back. Do you know what's happened? What did your grandmother say? And she was kind of all kerfuddled. And I said, what do you mean? She said she has just died. She said, and we're not expecting that. We know she's got cancer, but she's not even seriously ill. Did she say anything? Did you give her anything? Did you do anything? And I said, no, we just talked a bit. And she said she wanted to be left alone now. And I kissed her on the forehead and I left. And I thought, oh, okay. Didn't take her long to come into the dreams. And that's when it started getting really interesting. Or the, well, interesting for the first bit anyway. It got even more interesting. But that was kind of an awakening. She would be in a dream and she'd say, this is going to happen tomorrow. And be careful, don't go there and do this. And, you know, watch out for that. And... And, and and I thought, wow, you really are there. I mean, you know, you you were talking to me, and the grandfather didn't ever get a chance to say very much when he was alive. Bless him. So, <laughs> so it really, often, but it, it really started uh, to blossom, kind of mid early early midlife, thirty five. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah nineteen eighty six. So I was thirty five. Yeah, just not long after my 35th birthday, this would have been. I can't remember the exact date, but it was something like end of April, beginning of May, 1986. So she starts appearing to you in your dreams and starts mm -hmm. telling you about things. What happens from there? Then more and more people are introduced to me in the dreams by my grandmother. So you start meeting other people who've died. And things started to happen. I was told things that would be useful the next day or the next week. And I was doing all sorts of crazy things with the police and other people. And I started to get information that would be useful for them. First of all, I've got to get brave enough to tell some people that this is happening. And I confided in a couple of officers that I knew really well that I worked with on various things. And I remember one of them, he said to me, we've always wondered about you. His words were, we always used you as our sounding board. So they would often ask me things that were nothing to do with anything I would ever have anything to do with. Who's they? Police or? Police and intelligence officers, mainly in customs intelligence how did you become introduced to them? Right. So I put it in my book now, the new book. In 1976, an incident happened while I was out in Singapore. And when I left to come home, I was given, somebody's chauffeur drove me to the airport, and I was given a little present and I'm told not to open it until I got on the plane. And in there was a card from somebody who was connected with MI6 saying, we need people like you. And then I got approached after that to do all sorts of crazy things for the kind of operations that they would have that connected all over the place. So, so when yeah. they said, we need people like you, so 1976, that's 10 years before. 10 years this, before. this. Pattern. So how did, how did, this person know that they needed people 
like you. Right. So <clears throat> I don't know what this person knew about me. He probably knew quite a lot because he was a friend of my father's who also was connected with organizations like that in some way oh, or okay. another. And we were out on a boat for five days in and around the islands off Singapore. And coming back into the harbour on this particular Sunday night, they are drunk <laughs> up on the flybridge. <laughs> uh, and I knew, I, I know who, who he was now, he was, I don't know if he was a defence secretary or somebody in the defence secretary's office who was with them. And we're coming into the harbour and they are drunk as lords. And there's an oil tanker. Now, when you're in a 40-odd foot Grand Banks and you are looking at an oil tanker looming up on you in the darkness. And everybody's drunk. <laughs> and everybody's drunk. So I shouted out because I'm down in the lower deck. There's an oil tanker. And I don't know if it was my father or whether it was Horace or one of the others that was there. But they then see this oil tanker and they try to turn the boat. And they've got no control. So they said they'll switch down to me on the downstairs wheel, the control. So they switched it down to me and I haven't got any control either. So we are stuck on a heading. And I thought, shit, the autopilot's jammed. So I managed to jump down into the engine room. I looked, I can remember, close my eyes now, and I looked around and I thought, that looks like it. That looks like the control for it. And I grabbed the wires and I just pulled them out. And we went like that. So the clutch obviously disengaged. And Did you even know that it had an autopilot mechanism? Did you even know, or was this an intuitive gut No, feeling? I knew there was an autopilot. I mean, you know. Did I, you know I, where it was? Like, did you know where no, it was? No, but I no. knew it would be down in the engine room. But I know there's a clutch and some control. And Okay, know. so did you know where to look for the control? Or? No, I don't. I, we've okay. had this discussion so many times. You could have pulled out different. <laughs> blown us up <laughs> i said i know i just looked around and thought you know what that looks like it and i pulled the wires <laughs> up. Uh, and it, i mean then the boat just went you know we, we we ended up we ended up well we were probably on a heading of about something like 345 and we swung right the way round to what's the southeast it just dragged us round to like 190 or something like that so but, this is the first event that kind of got someone's attention. Yeah, yeah got, that got their attention. And I got blamed because they said I mixed the drinks too strong, and that's why they were drunk. <laughs> so anyway, when I came home, it was the boss's chauffeur that took me to the airport and gave me this thing. And I opened it, and that's all there was on it. It was from that organization and you know, not much else. We need people like you. And do, you, do, you think it, do you think it was related to 
your psychic ability or do you think it was more we need more people who can think quickly in a situation and i never really questioned it Mm -hmm. and that would have been december 76 or 77 i can't remember which year but one of those two years i then got a phone call oh half a year later to go meet some people in london for breakfast at a hotel in park lane went and met some people met some other people met some other people we need people like you move from there really uh, and i did some all sorts of crazy things i mean i'm not going to go into what all what the details well, of what yeah, give us just a flavor of like a for instance. It doesn't even have to be real, but like kind of like the no, sort no, of thing I, you put on. Um, so there was a situation where they wanted me to get to know somebody. So I knocked into his car and got out and apologized and, you know, that kind of thing. That's a real one. I got to know this person and. You know, he was. He said, "Oh, don't worry about it." And I said, "No, no, you got, you got to let me help." You know, and I knew that person then until he died. But yes, and I, I was on the ground with that person. I mean, he wasn't a good guy. You know. <laughs> no, I mean, come on, of yeah, course not. Yeah. Of course. No, of now, course what- not. Uh, did they provide you with any training or anything like that, or they just say get to know this person and? develop the source it depends what you call training in other Uh, words did anybody ever bring you in and say here's a mission yeah so they would brief you like that but did they ever say like how would i deal with the stitch this put me give me a situation and how would i deal with it what what would your approach to this be Okay, so they would ask you what your approach would yeah. be, and you would yeah. tell them, you play, and then they would say, okay, execute. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I, okay. so I, I, realized, I realized quite early on that there were things that are done for public consumption, and there are other things that are done because they need to be done that must never be for public consumption. And I understood most of the reasons why, too. I thought, yeah, you know what? You couldn't do that. You couldn't achieve that if you had to be up front with it. So, yeah, I did all sorts of crazy things. And I could tell you some of the stories, but... The, yeah, I, I don't want to get you in any, any yeah, trouble either. But yeah, I, just, but, I just want people to understand kind of yeah, like that. I mean, so but, it's not like it's you're not kind of into full-blown precognitive work it's more you're no, kind no, of a no, fixer like, just, like an operator like just trying yeah, to like yeah yeah gathering sources get like you're you're gathering yeah, intelli- human yeah, intelligence yeah yeah, right. yeah yeah and 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 i was very good at what i was doing they said and that <laughs> the fact i'm still alive probably <laughs> says that you know and this is all 40 years ago 50 years yeah. you know this is a long long time ago most they- of the I'm assuming they paid you for this stuff. Yeah. They okay. had this would have just they <laughs> had to find a way of paying me. Right. That couldn't be that, traced. Right. That couldn't be traced and I would never disclose. Which was interesting. <laughs> well, well, I gotta ask you this question. Did you have to pay taxes on it? Did you have to pay taxes on it? No. 
And they cover well. All right, that's fantastic. No, no. And, and they and they trained you on how to. I tell you what. I, I tell you what I did once. Yeah. I tell you what I did once. This is coming way down the line from those years. So in the seventies and eighties, it wasn't all computerized. When I bought this house in nineteen ninety eight, all the revenue things were all on computer now. And how do I show? the deposit yeah <laughs> right how do i show the deposit and i put on my tax return reward money from hm government they fucking tore me excuse me swearing to pieces how yeah. dare you put that on there i said what am i yeah. supposed to put i said you bring all these systems in you spy on everybody's everything and there are people like me that can't put that down. So I thought, right. I'll teach you. <laughs> you never. Well, they're they're, they're kind of pay because they're, they're paying you, but they're not really telling you how to evade. Well, I shouldn't say evade because you're, you're not evading. You're not not paying taxes intentionally. You're not paying taxes because you, you can't you, expose you operations can't expose like classified operations. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, how do yeah you, it's not like you're trying to cheat the system. See, you're just you're easy. trying to help the system. Yeah, yeah right. it's very it's very easy. I mean, they probably paid them for you. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I would think that they would just take care of it for you, just to yeah, like yeah, yeah. Well, until I put that on that form, I got really <laughs> they slagged me off something terrible. How dare you put? I said, well, what? You know, I'm going to get some tax inspector knocking on the door for a large sum of money which was a deposit on this house asking how you how i got yeah, it how you paid for it i yeah. just put, i just put reward money from hn government <laughs> so how did how did they how did they get the i mean because that's certainly going to attract the attention of the tax man so how did they take care of that situation i don't know i mean i just got told i should never have put it on the form yeah <laughs> Yeah, I would. I would have told you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But I just wanted to. I wanted. You're frustrated. You're frustrated. Oh, no, I wanted to expose the problem that people yeah. like me, and there must be lots of people like me in these jobs that don't exist mm -hmm. at that time. In I'm just retired now. I haven't got to worry about those things. But now, you know, at that point. They've computerized everything. You know, let's say you are some kind of super informant for the Scotland Yard drug squad or you were always in the past, would have been given any money in an envelope in cash. Yeah. Well, that was all right because you'd go out and spend it and nobody bothered. But once the system became so... Well, now, now they just create a front organization and you're paid yeah. by a front organization, you're good. Right. But they but they don't want to do that here. They're afraid of I have no intelligence training, but I'm sure I'm sure the CIA like that's yeah, exactly yeah. what they do. They they might do that at certain levels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they might do that at certain levels. I mean obviously nineteen ninety eight it was just all getting computerized here. It wasn't before, you know, you could vote in someone else's name. You could, 
you know, it's, it, it, after, after 98, all of those kind of things were on the computer system and started having cross-referencing and everything for everywhere. So I just thought you have not thought of how people working for you like this can deal with it, you know? And, and I, I, I did it. I did it deliberately. You know, I knew that I knew it would hit the fan at some point. <laughs> but I've, but I've done a lot of things like that. You know. Okay. It's, it's to be All right. Anyway, so yeah. taxation. Yeah. yeah I, I just, I had to ask that question because I know yeah, everybody yeah, was no. wondering it. Yeah. Okay. There's but a, it was legit. It was, you well. did that. On, uh, oh, go, go for it. Go for it, and then we'll. And there's then after that, one. we'll get back to the, to the path. Right. There's another funny story which involves that. I was with somebody that i knew quite well and i don't know whether i should say it, it probably doesn't matter uh, I, look if there's they any got, risk they got they got a visit from the tax people and i was present at the house when they came but i didn't know they were you know i just happened to be there and they were being really difficult with this person my friend of mine and i said do you know who i am and they said no so i said let's go in the kitchen so i went into the kitchen and i explained who i was name and number and so that they could check and told them where they would get the best responses to check I said, and what you're asking my friend about actually will eventually involve me. And you might not want to do that. <laughs> so they made some phone calls. <laughs> and there was two of them. There was a, a female and a male. And they both looked at each other and said, we wish we hadn't knocked on the door. <laughs> yeah. When they went away, though, right? And they went away. Yeah. They went away. Okay. All right. There Sorry. Be, there must be lots of situations like that that are not covered for by the bloody system. Yeah. Honestly. There's Okay. Anyway, they so, think it's not the system so you, is not as good as people think it is. Well, I don't think people think the system's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I but I th actually I think people think it's probably worse than it really is. Yeah. In, in yeah, the I, end, it's 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 a mixture of things. It's a system run by people, and it's only good as the people who run the system. Some are excellent, yeah. some are completely incompetent. But it's it but it's it, but it's really run for the ninety nine point nine percent of the population, which is fine. But there are people yeah. that will have problems with the system. Yeah, for no fault of their own. Just for no fault of their yeah. own. You know, and they probably aren't all like me that will just. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was, that was funny. But yeah, they she never heard from them again. But. Okay, so absent the tax situation. So you're doing a lot of intelligence operations, developing sources, things like that. When does this kind of bleed over into precognitive dreaming? Like, how did that... So, nine, so 1986, I think... 
there were three or four very important pieces of information that I got from dreams that I passed to police officer, a senior officer, Scotland Yard officer, for something that I knew was going on. And they came back to me in 87, involved the IRA, and said, how did you know that? And I said, well, I told you how I knew it. Yeah, but there are people who do not believe that. And there are people who believe that you have got sources that we don't know you've got. Yeah, that's not a great position to be in. Not a good position to be in. <laughs> right. All right. And I remember what one of them said. He said, actually, you've split the yard right down the middle because there are us who know you and are prepared to believe this. And there are those that are absolutely not prepared to believe it. So anyway, nothing happened. But I went on talking to the ones that I was working with and knew. And it, I guess, well, the, the big hit came with Pan Am 103, Lockerbie plane explosion. Mm -hmm. And the morning before that happened, or the morning of that day, I was meeting people anyway in, in London. And I told them. I've had a dream that there is a bomb on a plane at London Air Heathrow Airport tonight and the plane will blow up and kill everybody on board. And I know these, I'm not going to tell you their names, but I know these two very well. So this is the 21st of December, 1988. I run through my dream with them and insisted on making a statement and signing it. And they said, you don't want to do that. Yeah, that's, that's I said, that's I, do want to, I do want to do that. I said, it's time to document something. So we went to a pub. We were at the High Court in the Strand for <laughs> never mind the reasons, but we went to a pub opposite the, the High Court called the Printer's Pie, and we went in there, and they got out a statement form. And we put the dream down and I signed it. And they went, well, well, I know where they went back to. They didn't go back to Scotland. No, they went back to somewhere else. So that was lunchtime. At 25 past five, I'm sitting on the platform at Farringdon Railway Station in London, getting a train home to where I live north outside London. And I just came over with the shivers horrible feeling came over me i tried to call them and they'd left the office for that night so i left a message with the person who answered the phone just let them know that i've had this terrible terrible feeling and what i told them earlier is about to happen i then i got home and got in and she's cooking dinner I'm, she's in the kitchen, I'm watching the television, and about just before 7 o'clock, a few minutes, it must have been before 7 o'clock, we get a thing across the screen, news flash, and a plane has disappeared off the radar screen 
Well, now I know. Now I know. And then, of course, it unfolded over the next 20 minutes or so. And at uh, 20 past seven, pretty much. So it's, you know, still hot on the ground. Phone rings. And it's a chief inspector called Alot Paul, who I know very well. And he said, <laughs> you've fucking done it this time. <laughs> he said, I've had the yard on to me. Did, did that make you a suspect? Well, he said, let's put it like this, Chris. I've managed to talk them out of picking you up tonight. But if you're not at Scotland Yard at nine o'clock in the morning, they're coming to get you. I said, don't worry, I'll be there, which I was. And that day, I'm never going to forget that day, am I? Instead of going up in the lift, you go up the back stairs, Mm -hmm. Two big cops either side of you. One of them looked at me and said, I remember it was like yesterday, Christopher, you could be a security risk. And the other one looked at me and said, but you could be an amazing security asset. I said, yeah, well, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're 10 years in to working with people by now. Is Scotland so Yard, I, I know that you I'm not, I'm not. I'm not an unknown quantity, you know. Okay, so Scotland Yard knows that you're working for MI6. Yeah, they, 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 they knew. They would have mm -hmm. known pretty much everything that there was to know and different people. Because, you see, you meet a lot of people and you don't really know who they are. You just know how they came to you. Like Tom Drake in America. You know, he never showed me an ID that because of who introduced him to me. I knew he was somebody that you work with and you you you, you trust and, you know, he's never going to tell you who he is. And, of course, that only came out because of his court case. You know, when yeah. he was public, I thought, you know what, I'm going to come and support you too. For, for Just for the audience, for the background of Tom Drake, he was accused of effectively being a whistleblower. There were two systems that the NSA was considering to use that – collected on domestic electronic information, right? One would mask the identity of the user to ensure that there was privacy with the one he supported. The other was just a free-for-all, was just like ingesting everything, which is illegal in the United States, allegedly, right? And because he disclosed that, the government went after him and... Just as a quick aside, tell the audience what you told him. Because, I mean, you know, when you have the FBI showing, yeah. at your, showing up at your house. Oh, yeah, you yeah, and I've had, yeah, I've had everybody showing up at my house. <laughs> We'd, I mean, Tom was, was really close with me, and we did an awful lot of work on different things. Oh, and by the so, way, I didn't, did I say NSA? I can't remember. That's where he was. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if I said NSA, but he worked yeah, for the NSA. Yeah. yeah, that's where he was. The last thing I did for him was the last time I always thought Bin Laden was dead. I couldn't get anywhere. I was trying to view, get dreams to tell me, and all I saw was mountains. And I, I thought maybe they killed him in Tora Bora. Or, but the last thing he asked me, he said, try it again. And I think this was November 2008. And he had a little chat to me about what they thought. And I went to sleep, and the 
wrote it down and trying to contact my ET friends. And in the morning, I sent. We him, have to cover that too at some. Yeah, point. we we can. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah. in the morning, I sent him an email saying, Tom, if he is still alive, he is in a place called Abbottabad in northern Pakistan. You actually said the city? That was the exact words of the email I sent him. If he is wow. still alive. Now, in the dream, I've, I've got these beings, angels, friends, you know, I mean people will know later on more about you know some people call them spirits but sometimes they're just plain aliens and they showed me a map and we zoomed in on the map and they showed me where he was it wasn't a voice in the head it was showed me a map You know, X marks the spot. And I thought, okay. And I just responded to him. If he is still alive, this is where he is. But that was, you know, I don't know whether anybody did anything with that, you know. Well, I mean, two and a half years later, that's two where and a half years later, that. that's where he was. I, I would really love to know if he was in mountains, because it's really difficult to remote view. A mountain range and get a location in there i'm not doing gps coordinates like some of the remote viewers i'm just right. seeing a scene so i'd really love to know is that about the time he moved there and he was sort of in a nondescript place before then i, d I, I don't think anybody has ever said when he moved there or how long he'd been yeah. there yeah. but anyway but from my point of view, that was 100% spot on accurate. There's no question about that. And that's the last thing I did for him as a tasking. And um, as a friend. As a friend. We did a whole load of stuff, which we can talk about another day. I mean, I'm sure. Well, he, what, there was definitely one key thing you did for him personally that helped inform him on what happened to him subsequently. And not only that, but like. What was going to happen to him? Just yeah, quickly cover that, before? and then we'll get back to your path. Yeah, because I think it's I mean, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, so I met him in just after nine eleven. Knew him all the way through. Still know him. I was telling him for a while that he's in trouble at work, and he always said, "You don't know who I am." Well, I didn't know who he was. You know, I didn't even know if his name was really that. It turned out it mm -hmm. was. So he hadn't yeah. given me a, a pseudonym for his name. You know, he told me he was Tom Drake and he was. But he never, ever, ever told me who he worked for. I just knew that it was high up somewhere and he was someone to cooperate with and work with. And I kept telling him, you know, you're in trouble. I mean, you, whatever you're doing, whoever you are, you know, they're coming for you. They're, I mean, you, you have no idea of the trouble that's coming to you. And he always said, he used to laugh and say, 
you don't know who I am and you don't know how high up I am. And he said, nobody's going to come and give me any trouble. And I said, well, I'm really worried for you. And, of course, this was all transatlantic phone calls. Other people can listen to this. Probably, probably did. Probably people that knew they were coming for him. Yeah, yeah. Were listening to me telling him they were coming for him. You know, just imagine what other certain people must have been thinking at this time. Well, especially, I mean, he was the NSA. I mean, that was yeah. literally their job yeah. to listen That's to awkward job. conversations. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, of course it was. And I'm sure they recorded ours, or he would. You yeah. Know, of course well, I did. mean, you're, it was a it was an American intelligence yeah. official talking and I'm to. And I'm in England. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a foreign. Somebody yeah. A foreign national. Yeah, a foreign, Absolutely foreign recorded. National. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. Of course. No. No problem at all. And then I told him one day because he was really sort of agitated. One day, uh, he'd been raided by the FBI by this point, but he hadn't been charged with anything. And I told him of a dream that I had. And I was with a, an extraterrestrial angel kind of being in the dream. And this being and I were holding hands. So it's my left hand. Tom is holding my right hand. We are walking along a beach and we are singing a song, 10 green bottles hanging on the wall. And we sung this whole song and we were picking up bits of green broken bottles. Now, Tom, I think, has got another amazing connection to this, which he's told me about, but I'll leave it to him one day if he wants to tell that. But he said to me, what does it mean? I said, well, 10 charges and they all fall. He said, no, he said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. I said, no, you're not. Come on, you're not. Stop it. And what happened? <laughs> Was it the Friday? All 10, well, first of all, he got 10 charges, which is a little bit of a coincidence with the 10 bolts. But they all dropped and they all fell and they all broke. And he's a free man. He's working in an Apple store in Washington, D.C. <laughs> as a, just as a, like a tech, tech guy now? Or? Yeah, yeah. As far as I know, he's still there. He's done a lot of TV shows since. Yeah. He's done a lot of interviews. I don't know if he's written a book yet. I always told him he would. I don't know if he has. Yeah, I don't well, think I, so. I guess that means I guess that means he will. Yeah, it probably means yeah. he will. Yeah, I think he All right. Will. All right. Getting anyway, back on track. All right. So Lockerbie you can imagine bombing. what this must do to people in high places listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can imagine what it must do to them. Anyway, well, I mean, they so all they all know. They all know this stuff's real. They just it's they a it's a risk. Yeah, it's a risk for the population. Yeah. Like, look, if you're, if you're in the business of keeping secrets, right, of gathering and keeping secrets, your worst nightmare is the knowledge that, like, take remote viewing, for instance, mm -hmm. that almost anyone in the population has some residual skill in doing this mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. If you allow that to flourish, there are no secrets anymore. And in the interim, if your job is to keep national security – there will be a transition when it's complete chaos. But in mm. the long run, I think it, it's the best for the human species. But nobody wants to confront that. Right now, chaos. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right I mean, now would be a good time to start yeah, doing it. But. Yeah, I think so. There's a guy on Twitter that communicates with me, a Russian guy, and he asks some interesting questions at times. 
uh, yeah by by interesting do you mean like yeah. internet research agency yeah, questions yeah, or yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah he, he's interesting but the first time we ever spoke on the phone he said to me i need to tell you before we talk at all that my father was a colonel in the gru mm-hmm. i said it doesn't make any difference to me we're not talking about anything that's secret we're talking yeah. about Remote and plus, it. and plus, if you're calling me from Russia, yeah, our conversations must- being monitored anyway. Both sides, both sides. Yeah, yeah. Both. yeah. So, but yeah, he's an interesting person. He often tells me some of the things that the Russians are doing, but I would imagine it's already open source stuff. Right? I just reply to his tweets, but well, it's either open source stuff or it's stuff that's. Again, I'm just playing devil's advocate, or it's stuff that's not true that's meant to be disinformation that's disinformation. Yeah, it could be that. But, well, yeah, I, I read it all as that initially. Yeah. I, I always read everything as this. Well, usually it's like two truths and a lie, yeah. you know, yeah. something, something like that. So you just have to. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so we go back to Lockerbie. We go back to Lockerbie. I'm walking up the back stairs, and of course, the plane's down and everybody's dead. And. My version of what happened in the dream clearly puts the bomb put on the plane in England. So in my dream, Gaddafi called in a favour. Two IRA men went to meet two other terror people from an Arab cell or whatever, some extremist cell, and either gave them the Semtex or gave them the completed device. I think gave them the Semtex. But that was the, just a dream. I mean... But the, the, the IRA guys gave the Arabs the, yeah, the yeah. Semtex. Well, I, one of the things I'd always been saying to people I worked with for years, what are you going to do when Gaddafi calls in a favour and an Irishman does an Islamic terror bomb? And the Islamic extremist does something that would be an IRA attack. You're looking for the wrong people. You're never going to find them. Mm-hmm. And I remember lots of conversations with people in London about that. You know, what are you going to do when he calls in? Because, you see, Gaddafi had supplied nearly all the explosives mm-hmm. to the IRA for years. Now, he, he's so, so- calling a favor at some point. So did they ever did they ever officially make that connection between the IRA and Gaddafi's people? What I have been told. So let's look at what I know for sure. I Mm. know for sure that the night before or during the night of before the plane exploded, there was a break in at the Air Canada luggage secure storage area where some of the luggage from Maltese plane and other places destined for Pan Am 103 was stored. There was a break in there. Mm-hmm. That you can't find in the news anywhere now. You at the time it was a little bit reported, but it's it's all gone. What I also know is that that night before the bomb, two IRA men decided to sleep in their cars instead of going back to their safe house. Now, as somebody that's worked in all these things, if I have been sent out to meet 
two other terrorists, all right, who you really don't know anything about, but you've been asked by your boss to go and take a, a bomb or explosives or whatever. Are you going to drive straight back home or are you going to be really careful where you go first? You're going to go somewhere else for sure. You're going to go somewhere else. So you've got two IRA men sleeping in cars in the central London area the night before. And they had a safe house. I mean, and they had all explosives. There was a bombing campaign all planned and ready to go for Christmas. This is like four days before Christmas, 1988. So this is a favor. This is a favor. So, right. so to me, if you start joining the dots, come on. Why yeah. didn't they go home? They got a safe house. They're building bombs in it all day long. But they've been called out to go and do something that was a bit risky. Well, of course, I wouldn't have gone back to it either. Right. You know, not that I would have been a terrorist, but on my side of the fence if i've gone and meet people i don't know am i going to go back to where i'm safe well i mean you could also be like an sas saboteur in yeah, enemy territory yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that's exactly what you would do that's, that's exactly, exactly what, what you would do, you would do. and this right. and it's only ever happened once as far as i know that they were arrested from cars and the reason you can intuit that Qaddafi was still involved is the ira claim no credit for it they would pride themselves on only attacking military targets not going after civilians that would be a destruction of but you, you see know, they probably uh, wouldn't have known where the end source would have been either yeah. they've just well, been told to go meet maybe well do you think they would know what was in the package that there was explosives or was it just put this package well, in a suitcase yeah but they would there, there would have been no reason in the world to think it was going to go on an airplane yeah i mean if they're just delivering some semtex to another terror cell not yeah. belonging to the ira but belonging to some islamic muslim arab whatever organization i mean he supplied tons of it and he yeah. wants a little bit back what they you know you're the quartermaster sitting there in don Dork or somewhere you get a call from gaddafi's mate we need a little bit of the stuff back can you send a couple of boys over what you gonna absolutely. do absolutely send me more, yes, send me more. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's not a million miles from you know this is not a stretch yeah we're yeah. not stretching this we are looking at the cold facts, facts. in right. the cold light of day and the balance of probability is this is what happened. You know? Okay. So, so anyway, going back McGraw, to London, I mean, so, yeah. So McGrath yeah. anyway, it is alleged was going to bring out some of this story at his second appeal. Uh, and they decided to send him back to Libya rather than have that appeal. Interesting. And his barrister, I forget his name now, but knew someone that I knew at the time. When this was all going on and i know that they were asking questions about the breaking at the air canada and then for, for the audience can you just quickly explain who mcgrahi is mcgrahi was the only person ever convicted of the lockerbie bombing and he was i think he was in jail in the hague mm. I, th I think but he was the only person ever convicted and he always said he had nothing to do with it 
Now, <laughs> my feeling is that hardened terrorists admit and are proud of what they've done. Mm -hmm. They don't bleat that they're abs I'm sorry, absolutely. It's nothing to do with me. I never had anything, didn't know anything about it. When they say that. It's probably true. It's probably true. It's probably true. So maybe he did have nothing to do with it, but he's just a patsy. Yeah, they didn't want. You know, I mean, I thought about it. I mean, how much would people in England, in Ireland, in America, be happy or pleased? To have to acknowledge that the IRA gave the explosives. It would it, it, no, it would be a strategic disaster for all concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the so British people. Yes, yeah. the British people, the English, would demand retribution in Ireland, and it just yeah. gets worse and worse and spirals yeah. out of control. Yeah. So, so, but it, but that's the story, you know. And of course, that was they they had to accept, you know. I mean, they <clears throat> what they did after that is they. I got a separate phone line put in to my house. And then we're talking about the days of fax machines. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, we didn't really have computers that could send emails and stuff like that in, you know, 1988. We didn't. So I had a fax machine. And from then on, all dreams that were remotely, in my view, connected to crime or terrorism, I would fax to a police station and then we would go through what, we think it might mean independent of anything else I was doing for anything else, just as a, a side line. But okay. So, so you have really this, this horrifically accurate hit. What happens after that? I get more and more stuff to do with the IRA. And I ended up plotting movements of where, I thought the next attack, the next, and they were coming thick and fast in those days. Mm -hmm. And the real difficult problem I had with myself was when a murdered police officer, mm -hmm. murdered by Gaddafi's terrorists, was talking to me in the dream, telling me where the bombs were going to be planted. Now, you think, I, I had to really think about this. Do I lie? Do I try and do a cover-up? Or do I go into a police meeting and say, this has come from your murdered officer? Wow. You want me to, want me to tell you what I would have done? I would, yeah. have, I would have dripped the information, but if they kept asking questions, I would answer them as honestly as possible like look i have this information that there's going to be a bomb x if they say how do you know i had a dream mm. okay well what did the dream say well it said it was going to be here here and here and yeah. then well what else was in the dream i know it's going to sound crazy yeah but because you're also dealing with people people who would be upset Absolutely. family members who want to know Absolutely. about their loved one so Absolutely. you got to be careful, but you got to tell the truth. You always have to tell the truth. You just have to be yes, careful. For a year, it. we agreed not to say anything about this to anybody else. We agreed to say nothing about how this was coming to me, mm -hmm. to anybody else. But I had to tell who I was talking to first directly.
Yeah, I mean, you can't lie. The moment you lie, you compromise yeah. yourself yeah. forever. Yeah, with that. yeah, yeah. I had to say it. And it was really difficult to mm -hmm. say that that police officer that was murdered outside the Libyan embassy is the person in my dream. One particular instance, which was... Like, you see, you've got this whole emotion because I'm not only talking to aliens, I'm talking to dead people. Well, you know, we've got you know what people commonly say, though, like all all this stuff is related. It's all people connected together. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why, but it's all connected. Because I've got non-human looking intelligence beings with people who I know used to be alive. An an another another quick, quick aside, another quick aside. Yeah. Yeah. What do they look like in your dreams? They, I can only describe them as they're almost translucent. See, when I see my grandmother or somebody in a dream, I'm with them as a real body. They, you know, they they have form. And these aliens that I have, they're almost they're always sort of how you would imagine angelic. You like know, light beings, light, light beings. I call them light beings. Yeah, beings mm. of light beings. That's what I call them, light beings. Yeah. But they do have face, you know, <laughs> no clearly defined characteristics as you and I have now. But they do have eyes and not quite like the grey aliens. They're rounder. But they do have faces and they do have eyes. Uh, and the eyes don't look like real eyes, you know, they are strange, but they're always at a distance. They're always smoky, you know, mm -hmm. it's very difficult. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I saw them and they exactly like this. And OK, that's fine. But that is not how I see them. Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of etheric in, in a distance. And the ones that operated on my heart, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just another crazy story as well. But, you know, I mean, they were when I was up in a spaceship and, you know, I had all this serious heart problem again. Uh, and, and my cardiologist says, not much we can do, really. You've got to die of something. And he, he said to me, have you asked your friends? Because he's read stories about me. And uh, he says, have you asked your friends for help? And I said, no, never. And he said, why don't you give it a try? <laughs> <sighs> And he did, and they fixed it, huh? I, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm going to call it a dream. You know, I'm beamed up yeah. in the dream, and I'm on this operating table. I'm looking out at the earth below. I've got my arms strapped out on, on a board or something, and they're operating on me somehow. That was the 27th. It was the last Saturday in April 2018. Okay. So it's whatever it was. The last Saturday in April in 2018, I woke up that Saturday morning. So it'd be Friday night dream through early Saturday morning. And I had terrible chest pains. And it was my birthday on the 30th. My daughter was and her boyfriend were going to take me to Holland. And we were just going to have a, a good old drink up and, you know, have some fun. And I was going to show them around because they'd never been. And I know it like the back of my hand. And she said, I could, my daughter said, we can't take you on a plane with those pains. I said, no, honestly, they've done something and these pains will go away. Now, I was having regular and giant nasty pains twice a week, three times a week for two or three years. 
and we know that my right coronary artery is completely blocked and because of my earlier heart operation they couldn't get a, a catheter in there and so it was either that or a bypass they didn't think i would survive a bypass i haven't had a pain since you go back and see if it was still clogged with the doctors uh, we haven't done that yet but um okay my blood pressures are normal i haven't had any pain since what is the go figure <laughs> Well, well, it'll be interesting if, like, the next yeah. check, checkup you have, you check, yeah. and then, yeah. and then you look at before and after, and yeah, you have yeah. clinical evidence. Yeah. I've had, that. I've had checkups, but not an angiogram. But I've had an echocardiogram, and they said your heart looks fine. <laughs> I had a nuclear perfusion scan where they put you in some kind of scan. They get all these different colours, and they inject radioactive stuff. I've had two of those, and they just said, well. We ain't got no answer for it. <laughs> oh, so they've already shown that it's been cleared, that one article. Well, they, no, they haven't shown the arteries been cleared, but okay. it's shown my heart is functioning, you know, much better than it was. So something happened, you know. Interesting. So, All right, well, let's, anyway. use this, let's use this as a segue to mm. end the episode. When we come back, we'll start with what happened subsequent to Lockerbie in terms of how Scotland Yard MI6 started using this capability and also the Americans, as well as we'll get into this ET connection, this connection with the dead in terms of, you know, cause we all, we, we talked about this police officer where we were starting to, we'll, we'll start mm. with that. But I want to say this has been fascinating. And I think there's been a ton of stuff that's come out in this interview that, I don't think it's come out before, so I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, every time I do something, I get a bit braver. <laughs> yeah. Because if you don't get any flack, you think, well, maybe I can say that now, or maybe I can say that now. No, I think what you said was pretty safe. I could have pressed and gotten you into trouble, but I, I chose not to yeah. press because I don't yeah. want to get you into trouble. There's a whole lot more interest in this now than there ever was. I don't think that's a coincidence either. I no. think, no. Uh, and we'll talk about that stuff too, disclosure mm. and mm. you know whether or not that'll happen. But all right, my friend, it was an absolute pleasure, and it was I'm fascinated. I keep taking you on side trips because well, that's all right. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like for the viewer with all the side trips, but I think it probably, I don't know, maybe it helps them to realize. Oh, this is real, you know. Yeah, we're not yeah. sitting here with a script, you know, telling a story. I mean, when you see, I mean, I'm not knocking people, but when you see the UFO things, it's the same story again and again and again for the next, or well, in the last twenty years, it's they tell you this story. They, you know, why has my UFO with? There's a film of it, never been talked about on any UFO program. The one I got interviewed about. There, you know, a, a television film crew filmed it. It's There's, never been shown. It's never been discussed. It is not in anything anywhere. Why not? Well, you can I mean, you sent it to me. Can I use it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, put it uh, out there. I'm going to use it. Yeah, I'm going to use it. You know, yeah. it's, it's never been in, you know, Nick Pope has never mentioned it. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there might be a, well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I mean, exactly, but, you know, I mean, I had to sign official secrets acts as well. You know, mm -hmm. he's bound by certain things. But he can talk about it. It's on TV. Yeah. Even if he says 
a description of what happens and what he thinks. Well, that, that's the problem with classification. So there's plenty of stuff that's out in the world that's been classified, which is why one way that intelligence folks who are not necessarily, I'm going to try to th think of a, of a good, fair way to characterize this or frame this, but if you don't want to secret out, one way that you can prevent politicians and people like that from talking about these things is you bring them into a skiff, you show them something that's classified that also just happens to be out in public anyway. And the moment you do that, they can't talk about it anymore. Mm. So that's how you kind of keep the disclosure chain going. Again, I'm not a trained military intelligence professional. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I might be a smart guy, but that's yeah. how I would do I was, it. Yeah, I was actually you saying that makes me think of this when the RAF people came and saw me the second time with this UFO that anyone can see on the internet at the moment they said to me we found a radar track of it and we don't know what that was but they reckon it did a hundred miles in three seconds wow and it stopped dead I mean it did literally stopped dead you can see it stopped dead. And you, I mean, in the video that the television film crew filmed, it goes along and it stops. It goes along and it stops. You know, in 1971, what did we have that could go along at a, a Nothing. and stop and then go along again and stop again? I Nothing. don't whether we still have. I Well, yeah, I don't. But that's, but, you know, no. I did the sums on that, and that works out just under 100,000 mile an hour. They did say to me, you'll never see this again for 50 years. And it was 50 years pretty much to the week that I found that on the internet, that that film had been made available. Interesting. Yeah. All for right, 50, my friend. You go back through my tweets, you'll see. I tell about the story, but I can't find it. And all of a sudden I find it. Do you know what? It was 50 years later. Yeah. <clears throat> That's not a coincidence either. No, all I'm right, my friend. All right, bye. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> okay. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.